Hello and welcome to the BG Podcast. My name is AJ Bingham, CEO of Bingham Group. We have with us today guest Mustafa Rashid, who is the CEO and founder of Bellevue Strategies based in Philadelphia. Welcome to the show, Mustafa. Welcome. Thanks for having me on. Happy to be here. So uh, just real quick, our audience can't see. Where are you uh, calling in from? <laughs> I am calling in from uh, the Amtrak train station in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, our, our firm has offices uh, throughout the state, the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania, so Harrisburg, Philadelphia, and Pittsburgh. And uh, I started this morning at my office in Philadelphia and headed to our office in, in Harrisburg uh, to get for some meetings there. And I was trying to get to the office on time. The train was late, and uh, I thought, you know, this is a, just a good example of of life as a, as an entrepreneur. Uh, your schedule sometimes is not quite yours as you'd like it to be, but. Uh, it's authentic, you know, let's, let's, uh, let's make the most of it and, and have a good discussion. Love it. Love it. Well, we first connected through LinkedIn. I saw a, a, a post about a recent high level hire uh, your firm had made in Philly. Mm -hmm. And just, um, I think as the, as listeners that long-term listeners, of the show know, uh, I've had guests in the past, uh, hello, entrepreneur, owner, or operator, lobbyist on just to talk about their markets and, um, you know, just compare notes and just see, you know, understand how, how and why they founded their firms and, you know, their kind of background of that as well. And so do you want to start with that? We're particularly also maybe backtrack to uh, founders of color um, in this mm -hmm. industry, um, as we discussed, I think folks broadly in the lobby know uh, it's, it's a lack of diversity. <laughs> yeah. straight up. And I think yeah. that's across the board. I thought it was just Texas. That's a, I mean, you're across the board, but particularly to, and then within that uh, founders of color, founders of color as well. Right, there's less of that. Yeah, yeah. I so I um, like a lot of folks who start in the in the business. You know, you're in the political space, you're in a campaign space, you're in the legislative side space, and um, it at least it's consistent. You you'll not see firms of of color. Um, but what you will see are uh, communities of color and elected officials of color. But typically, the liaison between them have not been people of color, and I, I just always found that to be jarring. Um, that that was consistently what we saw is that we just didn't see people of color, and I thought, you know, that's that's kind of unusual because if we all have our own blind spots, and um, you know, you'd, you'd want to have people, I thought, who could understand the communities, the issues, um, and what's important to those communities. You, you thought that there, I would have thought that li the liaison to them would be people of color, but you never, you never really got to see it. And so I would ask the question, you know, why aren't there more firms of color that do this work? And folks that I know never really had one solid answer. And so it didn't seem like there was one particular barrier. It just seemed like, you know, it, it just, it hadn't been done. What I did see, and maybe you've seen this as well, in Texas, is you saw a lot of individual consultants of color mm -hmm. um, who did good work. Um, but had not figured out the path to scale up the business so that it was sustainable and that it went past them. And there are a lot of reasons why you want to have that, but that's something that I didn't see as much in Pennsylvania as well. Um, did for, so for the few times that we saw individual consultants of color who were doing great work in the space, we really didn't get a chance to see those folks have an opportunity to scale up their businesses. And so when we started, when I started, I thought, you know, I, I, I think that there's an opportunity. I think that there's a space there. Let's go out and figure out how to, how we can do that. Yeah. Well, I'll say too, on your, on your point about scaling across the board, I think black, while the other, you know, yeah. starting oh, starting yeah. a business and launching it. <laughs> like, mm -hmm. I think sometimes we, I know we, we've talked uh, more directly about just 
about grow, you know, business about business. I mean, about the lobby. It is, uh, it is hard, and it never really mm-hmm. ends. There's, you know, you, you would know, say more money, more problems, but I call it peaks and valleys, right? Yeah, and that's just the nature of entrepreneurship, right? Yes. From my view, I look on the lobby, and I agree on the communities of color part, but even more broadly, um, just you, know, it's the question of like, why can't I represent a Fortune 500 company? Right. Why can't I do these things? I mean, from my lab experience, but I agree. It's, I think overall the path of even, you know, the path of even getting the fullback, you look at the law, it's the legal profession, right? I think that's their defined paths to becoming a lawyer, to becoming mm-hmm. a partner at a law firm. There might still be unwritten rules or, you know, some glass ceilings, but they're, they'll, the score, you know, tests, right? They'll go to the right, quote unquote, the right school. That path has been carved out in a way, in my view, the lobby has it. It's really, to a degree, it's kind of the wild west. I mean, you can look, you can look at, you can study someone's history, your uh, their LinkedIn, and get the gist of, hey, I worked as a staffer, I did this, but that's that's really, I think, scratching the surface. There's so it's there, there really is, there are no rules becoming a lobbyist. I mean, there are rules of yeah. being a lobbyist, or becoming a lobbyist. <laughs> I mean, you know, every, every state and federal, but yeah. but becoming a lobbyist gets. You know, it's really it is to a degree. It, if there are rules or paths to it, it's because it, it's it's you get they were they were told to you by someone. It wasn't really written down anywhere. Right. Right. Yeah, you're, you're, My view. Yep. I like yep, the yeah, law. There's no there's no lobby school. I'll talk. No. There's no. I didn't know about lobbying until my last year of. I went to law school. I didn't know about lobbying really until my last year of law school. And I was like, wow. Okay. So my 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 mind a whole new path I never thought of. Mm-hmm. Period. Yeah, it, so. Yep. I digress. I want to get to your background and to the lobby and also then to starting Bellevue strategies. Yeah. Well, I, before we do, you just, you just, I'm, I'm glad we're having this discussion and you I just relearned something from hearing you say it, which is profound and will stick in my head for some time. So I recently learned that in Pennsylvania, only 2% of minority owned businesses have more than one employee. So it's usually just a sole proprietor. Um, and so I never made the connection that it's not, you know, I sort of isolated lobbying firms and said, how come they're not lobbying firms that do scale? And I just, for some reason, never made the connection. It's not just lobbying firms. It's Black-owned firms, period, across the board, you know, um, retail shops, like um, uh, public affairs, uh, communications, entrepreneurs, lawyers, which is, they're, they're mostly just individual shops. So it's not, so it, it makes me feel a little better. Like, it wasn't like there was a specific barrier just for lobbying firms i just realized that that's not the case it's just mm-hmm. black owned firms in general across pennsylvania less than two percent of them actually have employees so you know good to, good to know that um good to relearn that i never thought about it in that way that it's not just that um the the other thing is i had to, um, a legislator say to me once and he used the house of u.s congress the house of representatives as an example once he said there are 435 people there you know all of them got there one way they just woke up one day and said that that's what I want to do. And they went out to go and find it. And so like becoming a lobbyist, there's no one way to do it. Um, and you're, you're right that these are, there, there are structured paths to becoming a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, um, an engineer, an architect. Like these are the things that you go do. These are the places that you go work. Whereas lobbying is a little more nebulous. You can be an elected official, a staffer, an attorney. Um, you can you can have all these different skills, and so because there's not one specific way to do it, you like uh, a member of the House of Congress, you, you go figure out the best way that you would be able to do it. Like there's 
you don't have to be a lawyer to be a legislator. You know, it helps, but you don't have to be. And so um, knowing like this is what you want to do and go out and set your own path on how to get there um, is is a way that we should do it. And I just I thought that there was a need for it. And I thought, let's figure out a way to, to fill that need and, and do good work in the process. And that, and that brings us to 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 where we are today. Mm-hmm. So come back to that, though. So your so your path. So what was your first uh, job? Was it political or how, what was your first yeah. entree into this world? Yeah. So at 14 years old, I was in high school and did an internship at the Philadelphia Tribune, which is the nation's oldest black newspaper. And this newspaper, um, you know, I got exposed to politics through what the newspaper was covering, um, a political class, and more importantly, it exposed me to an African-American middle class that I didn't know existed. So I, I was I was stunned. And I tell this story to anyone who will listen. I'm sure people are tired. I remember there was a gentleman at the newspaper who drove a Mercedes Benz. I'm a 14-year-old kid. And I see a guy who's in politics. He's not hustling. He's, he's, not, he's not out there. He's, he's a working man and he's driving the Mercedes Benz. And for me, a 14 year old kid like that, I had never seen anything like that before. So I was like, whatever that is, I want to know more about that and what, and what that's like. So I did, I worked two years as an internship there at the Philadelphia Tribune, got exposed to politics, understood the importance of it, the impact of it in the community, got to meet a lot of the names that I had heard growing up in you know, council persons congressmen, state senators had heard their names, but actually had a chance to meet them um, for them being interviewed and, and being covered by the newspaper and realized that there was a larger world outside the world that I was growing up in. Um, went to uh, join the service when I got out, went to college, and then uh, one of my first jobs out of college, um, still paid attention to politics and understood it, the importance of it in our communities. I worked as a staffer, low-level staffer on the mayoral campaign and got to know um, about the campaigning process, the, the political process on that side. Um, and then the first job I had, uh, that was through the first job that I had out of college, was working for an, uh, a public affairs firm um, that did campaign work. And so that was you know, my exposure tool. And I thought, wow, this is great. Um, I'd, I'd love to be able to do this myself one day. Um, you know, it seems easy, and then you realize it's not easy at all. <laughs> it's not easy at all. It's decades of relationships is, is what it takes, um, but it, it, it's certainly not easy at all. So that that was that's how I work for other public affairs firms, work for other PR firms, work in communications, and um, you know, after about twenty years or so of, of, of that, I started my own firm. And again, I, I thought it would be very easy. Um, because I, I didn't realize the hard work that the people before that I had worked for, what they were doing. And you don't realize that until you step out yourself and you're like, oh, I got I have to be an accountant. I have to be a marketing person. I have to be a salesperson. Um, you know, I have to be a tax person. Like you have to do all these things for your business, plus run the business, plus bring in new business. Um, it's, a, it's a daunting process. And, um, you know, I think you get to a certain point and I'm sure you figured it out, like you've gone too far. It's like crossing the bridge. Like you've gone farther across the bridge than you, than there is to go, than, than there's to turn around and go back. And you're like, I just, I just need to just keep going. Like whatever this takes me, that's what I'm going to do. Um, try not to get sidetracked and just say, I'm just, I'm just going to keep going and see where it takes me. Um, and then, you know, just try, <laughs> try not to make any fatal flaws along the way. Try to, make good partnerships, take good advice, not get uh, bogged down um, in political fights that are not your own. Uh, you're going to have enough of your own. 
mm-hmm. you're going you're going to have to carry you know you're going to have enough of your own you're going to make your own enemies along the way you're going to deal with jealousy and, and people saying you can't do that um and and use that as a as a way to, to motivate you to figure it to, to do it but um in this part of my life and my career i do a lot of thinking a lot of self-actualization a lot of uh, being mindful with the words that I use and, and think and think things through. And I, those are things I wish I had you know, going on. So I would say to anyone who's starting a business, um, thinking about starting this as you and I did, like there's, there's no one way to do it. Just know that this is what you want to do and you'll get there. Yeah. And then doing it. I think that's the biggest and thing is, look, yeah. I, I want to interject like on that, that thought, like right. The point when I knew the, the kind of the, at least mentally the doors opening about starting a firm was when I, I sat down and, or, you know, sat down and thought about the people I'd worked with or worked for and who were in our industry, you know, on the contract lobby side were making a lot of money. And I really boiled it down to, okay, you know, they're, you know, they have time on me, they have, you know, the connections, everything else. But ultimately, what the defining factor is, they, they started it. They started, started. Firm. <laughs> they started they started firm and yeah. i think you know you can't have the best idea it can be in any industry the best thing you know whatever you want to be best skill in practice or else in your mind but until yeah. you and that's probably the, the scariest part is you have these ideas and you have to put them to the market and the market really decides that the buyers yeah. the clients the clients yeah, decide you can, have, you can be connected you can be very very connected in city hall the capital from my view it does not matter if you can't get a client and keep it a client doesn't. And build it on doesn't. a client and keep going. And yeah. that's it. That's I mean, that's what all that matters in this business. Like ultimately it will results matter, but can you get a client to even can you get a client? Can, yeah. can you get a client? Can you deliver for them? Can you get and them build to tell on other it. people that you and build on it? Can you get other people? Can you get them to tell other people? Uh, one of the best pieces of advice I got, uh, coincidentally enough, is for someone I later hired, um, is that everyone has relationships. And that's different than getting clients. Mm-hmm. We're talking about the entrepreneur space. Like you, and in our business, if you do really, really well with your client, they're going to stay with you, right? They're going to stay with you forever. And so just because someone has a great relationship with that person doesn't necessarily mean that that person is willing to stop whatever process that they're doing and come and work with you. It's not how that works. Um, and everyone has, has and should have relationships in this business. It does not mean that you can, everyone can go get clients. Yeah. But I mean, relate, relationships is inherent. I mean, it's not even, that's just part of the business, right? It's not even mm-hmm. almost, I mean, you might have, and I think you might have better ones here and there, but honestly, even that's dynamic, right? Some people, your relationships could go like we're closing in November and all the people yeah. you knew, all of a sudden you look at this as a sport, right? Your yeah. value goes down because if, if you're, <laughs> it's based on that, your stock's not, or the flip, you all of a sudden your boss becomes speaker. Yeah, <laughs> you're a hot commodity, right? And you're seeing. You're I, follow, I follow bro. the Hill, you know, Influence blog. I mean, you look at who's getting hired now, and mm-hmm. firms making bets on on Republican leadership on former yeah. staffers, right? But yeah. that's that's part of the business, I think. Recognizing that, but one, you know, that's part of it, but also the results part. And eventually, everyone has relationships. We were in a sea of people. Any any city, state you go to, yeah. DC has relationships. Yeah. It's not enough. To your point, it's not, it's not no, enough. it's not enough. You have to. It's funny. So I have a, a sales background. And so it, it's a good, I, I thought having a sales background uh, was good with learning how to prospect, right? Because a lot of people don't know how to prospect um, and don't know, or just, just, this is just raw business we're talking, right? I don't know if they're talking to the right decision maker. A lot of people don't know that, right? It's just, you know, because people, no one wants to tell you 
they're not in charge. People will let you believe that they can make decisions that are not in charge for a really long time before you realize that that's not the case. And so, you know, knowing that you're talking to the to the right person, um, my sales background reminds me often to sell up and down, like because people, like you said, people are always coming and going. And so the person you have a fantastic relationship with today, if they're good, they're probably going to move on someday. They should like good people are what are in, in a scarce commodity. And so um, they're going to move on. So have you sold up and down the chain? Have you, have you dem- objectively demonstrated what your value is to them? Um, do you know how to build a pipeline? Um, some other advice I got to recently in our line of work, our biggest barrier to growth is conflicts. It's conflicts. I guess, you know, I can't represent this person because I represent that person. I one time represented that person on that industry and people think I'm known for that. And so how do you build a successful business in navigating conflicts, navigating ideological conflicts, navigating client conflicts? Like it, it is, it, there is no manual for this. And I, hell, if it, if there was one, it'd probably be several thousand pages long about how to, how to get all around this. But I think you, you know, you just have to find, in terms of what you want to do um, in in the lobbying space, the kind of people that you want to represent, the kind of people that mean something for you and your values, and then and then stick to that, and then as best as you can stick to that process. Mm-hmm. Tell us about Bellevue. So, just you stayed local lobbying. Your mm-hmm. let's, uh, let's focus. What are your practice areas within that? Yeah, yeah great question. Yeah, our practice areas: um, human services, nonprofits. Um, healthcare, education, we represent some advocacy organizations. Our practice also does strategic communication. So we do, you know, crisis communications because we find that that's often interwoven, um, into our business. A lot of times we're dealing with clients as well, you know, who are heavily regulated. So energy, environment, labor. So, you know, when they're in this heavily regulated space, we need to be able to communicate to the regulators like the issues that they're facing. So, um, uh, we, we have um, a, a team of, of folks that also do business advocacy services for minority-owned businesses, um, which, you know, we're what we're doing in, in some cases is making sure legislation exists that uh, doesn't have a negative impact on their businesses, um, which is something that we, we see often. And so, um, you know, I, I think that's the, the, the bulk of the, the work that we do. We do work with corporations as well. Um, advocating for them on behalf of, of, of their regulators and making sure that, you know, that their business, they're allowed to um, perform business in, in the Commonwealth uh, that works in, in their best interest and, and for the communities they do business in. Got it. Uh, focusing on Philadelphia, just what, what trends are you seeing going into, uh, I'm just curious about kind of peer markets. I mean, Philly's a little yep. older than Austin, but just overall, I think urban urban issues, urban metro issues, What what's uh, brewing as we close the yeah. year out and then going into the new year? Yeah, so uh, from a policy standpoint, I felt up is seeing something that a lot of cities uh, are seeing, and that's just concern about public safety. Um, so public safety in, in the city is is really is really the top priority right now. Um, so any policies that are around that are, are going to be important, and with that come funding. Like are we, how are we funding safety? Um, what are the programs that are out there that are, are, are keeping helping to keep communities safe? And so I, I think that's kind of like the big priority right now. Um, uh, public education has been an ongoing concern. One of the things we've seen about coming out of the pandemic, 
uh, has been this attack on public education, trying to move dollars away from public education system into private systems. And so, um, you know, for, for me as a public school student, like we want to continue, you know, and then for the hundreds of thousands of public school students across the Commonwealth, we want to make sure they still have access to a good education. Um, so that's their uh, public health critical. I mean, it's, we, we've seen a textbook case of public health systems uh, that have not been ready for what we just experienced and are still experiencing. And so public health, I think, is really a, a critical one that, that cities are, are seeing across the Commonwealth. You know, I know we don't talk about COVID as much as we did uh, even a year ago, uh, but, but public health is really, really critical right now, making sure that if something like that ever happens again, uh, that, that we're ready. Um, labor issues are really important in our city right now. We're seeing that in a lot of other places as well. Uh, people realize uh, that what they went through, you know, are they are they being fairly compensated for the work that they're doing? Uh, are they being treated fairly by their employers? And, you know, are they in jobs that value them as employees? And I think that, you know, a lot of the people um, who are in those kind of positions where they're asking themselves those questions are, you know, are thinking, are reevaluating what it is that they want to do. And so there's labor shortages across the board uh, for for reasons that, you know, that, that are probably too lengthy to go over here. But, you know, I think that Philadelphia is not uh, unique in, in seeing uh, the challenges of labor right now. And I want to highlight any you know, initiatives or programs that Bellevue is uh, undertaking. Anything in the front, like a non or community engagement work or or things that not non-client facing, but just initiatives of the firm. Yeah. So I, uh, in my time, I sit on a number of nonprofit boards um, in uh, mostly education, uh, education or human services. And so um, I, I like that kind of work. I like to give my time to that kind of work. And I think that, I think that it's good. Um, and then some of the associates at the firm, uh, work in that space as well. It's great for networking. It's great for policy development. It's great to meet people and see you know, sort of what the flow of, of policy direction is going to be. Um, so I, I think that I find that to be a, a good opportunity to, to deepen our, our networking connections and, and, and continue to do good work um, out, outside of a, a business relationship. And I also want to highlight your firm as a podcast, The Bellevue Corner. I believe yes what, yes uh, we do <laughs> what was the you know what uh you want, we'll put in the show notes but you want to highlight that just what um uh, what's it about what yeah do you, what do yep. you do absolutely so what we do on the show is we'll bring in policymakers across the commonwealth um and give them an opportunity to talk about the work that they're doing um in in, in the legislative space community space um hear what what it, what's important to them um but i also think it's, it's a good way for people to connect with uh, to hear from legislators in, in a personal way, and uh, Christina, who, run, who runs that podcast, you know, will ask some personal questions like how, you know, things that, you know, sort of humanize them and, and what they're doing uh, and their experience. And so uh, we think that's, we think it's a, it's, it's a good way um, to, to deepen the knowledge that people have or the people whose lives impact themselves. And one of the things that um, I'm curious enough is similar in, in, in Texas. Um, just how how much input the General Assembly has over your life. Um, you you live in a big city and you know like Philadelphia and you think it's fine and you, you you may know your you know your mayor and you may know your council persons but you know it's it's the General Assembly um, who as we they do in um, in Pennsylvania they, do, they, they they can preempt local laws if that's not if that you know uh, preemption uh, uniformity like those kind of things that people don't 
these are the unsexy topics that people don't know a lot about um, and don't realize that this is why cities can't enact their own gun laws or they can't enact their own labor laws because often the General Assembly uh, will preempt and uh, prevent uh, local cities from being able to govern themselves, um, which is, you know, it's complicated, but it, it happens more often than, than you think. Um, and it, 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 it reminds me just how much a refresher or education is needed of the political process and the difference between state, local, and federal laws and who's responsible for what. Now, I say that with the understanding that a lot of people, especially in urban cities, are are trying to compete with their attention um, through the, the lives that they live in. It's, it, it's very complicated. Um, and oftentimes, you know, I ask people about an election, they only know about the presidential election that comes every four years. And I would tell you, that's probably the least from a policy standpoint, the least impactful person in your whole in your political process is the president of the United States. If they don't, I mean, yeah, they, they they have a very large outsized role, and you hear a lot about them. But I I would tell you that your state representative, your governor, your attorney general, your local judges like have far more impact than the president of the United States. But it just you know we we seem to pay more attention to that. Um, but I I you know I'm a, a big uh, believer and pusher of just how important local matters. And you know that 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 will be the the song I sing and the dance I do until until I'm until I'm too old to do it. Just how important that that is. I d- I definitely think for our colleagues who are who are in capital cities. So in Austin, mm-hmm. I think Austin, city of Austin, is, is very, uh, you know, the preemption looms large of our decisions given mm-hmm. our dynamic the city's dynamics yep. with the state, <laughs> right? Yep. I think for you know there are probably peer markets like that, but. We, I mean, at least in Austin, I think uh, it's it, the 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 tie-in with what the state can do, or or get ahead, getting ahead, particularly the things that the city of Austin wants to do, yeah. uh, is is, is well known. It's kind of I think in Austin, it's it's like a it's one it's like a sport. You know, it's kind of it's been joked about that the capital is like Austin bashing and all that. So yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Um, it's known here for sure. But I agree on the whole. All people understand how significant uh, that is. I mean, sometimes even on the local side, though, too. I mean, again, the flip, like here right now, we have a ma- some major state up or up ballot races going on, which you may be aware okay. of. I mean, the governor's race and everything else. And ours is important. We also have half our, we have about over half our council is either up for re-election or going through uh, or just open seats, right? Okay. So it's like maybe the opposite here where we have, you know, everyone's focused on our governor's race, which is very important. Mm-hmm. But so are the folks who be voting on, I mean, like le- the less less sexy issues with things that you know your that affect how you can build on your on your property yeah right? yeah or, or yeah. you know having a traffic zone i mean things that are that directly tie into you but they aren't yeah. as the ma- the massive issues of the day but do on your day-to-day impact you more more readily so it's i mean it's something down the chain i think your point the point of just ed- being more educated overall on on how policy impacts your life is always a good thing and for well well well-informed citizens citizenry yeah, well informed. Yeah, which is getting harder to do. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but a well informed citizen is absolutely right. Yeah. Well, Mustafa, I want to thank you for your time. Uh, I want you to have a safe, safe uh, train ride over to Harrisburg and back to Philly. Yeah. Mustafa Rashid is the CEO and founder of Philadelphia-based Bellevue Strategies. Thank you for your time. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Looking forward to doing this with you again.